And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What a way to start a brand new week, Drancer, a VanCast, uh, without any games to talk about. Nothing's changed. The Canucks haven't played since Wednesday when they lost to the Winnipeg Jets. We thought this was going to be the week, though, where their true and honest position in the standings would come into focus. Of course, the Montreal Canadiens haven't played since either because of COVID, so really no further ahead here. The Canucks remain two points back in Montreal. The Habs have five games in hand, and even though the Canucks didn't play... It feels like we've got a lot to catch up on since our last podcast. Yeah, it feels like there's been a lot of noise, a lot of injury updates, a lot of, you know, stagnating contract talks updates, uh, some Travis Hamanick news, on and on. I mean, it's been a pretty interesting four days in which the Canucks have been off, I I think, all told, Uh, especially when you consider sort of the chatter in this market at this point and the fact that the Canucks' position, I think, was crystallized by you know, what went on prior to the break, right? Like, you lose to the Jets those two games. You're now still back of Montreal, and their games in hand are mounting, right? I mean, I I do think we're going to get to a point where people are going to be like, the Canucks are above the playoff bar, playoff push, and it's like, they're two points ahead of the Habs with 10 games in hand. <laughs> like, I really think we're, we're, we're flying into some extreme territory here, but the fact is, is that, you know, I, I do think there's now recognition in this market that the team has, you know, taken the step back that's been evident for weeks. I think that's now accepted and needs to sell here over the next two weeks prior to the April 12th NHL trade deadline. Well, let's just bring the VIPs up to speed then as we record this. Canucks skated a couple of times over the weekend. Not great news on the injury front. I mean, there's still no Elias Pettersson. I know there was a picture of him at the bench watching practice. Maybe that represents some progress. But Travis Green certainly didn't sound confident that Pettersson was going to be back anytime soon. Uh, No Sutter, no Beagle. Then Tyler Mott misses a practice as well. Uh, Although we're told just maintenance day with him. And he's expected to play on Wednesday when they host Calgary. Uh, The other little bit of injury news was Justin Bailey posted a pic on Instagram uh, at the back of a bus, at the, uh, on a flight into JFK, apparently going to New York for consultation on that shoulder injury suffered when he was smoked by Milan Lucic back in February. Uh, that's not a good sign for Justin Bailey, and you have to wonder if uh, his season is done, if he's looking at options here, is surgery going to be required? That's all speculative, but the fact that he's left the team, has gone to New York City, and is having the shoulder looked at, uh, that's a tough blow for 
for Justin Bailey, who was playing reasonably well. I mean, again, a guy that just wanted an opportunity to get into the lineup, he got it, and then was on the receiving end of that big hit by Luch, and uh, that's probably it for Justin Bailey's season. Yeah, no question he would have been playing in this lineup, right? Like, he would have been playing in this lineup, um, you know, really his first extended look at NHL action in 24 months almost, really, since he got, what, 10 games with the Flyers in, in like, the... 1819 season, you feel for a guy like that, especially because you're right. He came into camp, he's played well for the Canucks. Like dating back to the summer bubble, he's been like a standout in this group, just sort of uh, cresting, not quite getting over the line and getting in on a regular basis. I think he was on pace too, and then that. So, you know, those those are the breaks. It's such a fine line in this league between getting that shot, taking that shot, and not, right? You feel for a guy like that. Hopefully he's able to come back, um, you know, and and sort of get another shot because clearly based on his body of work in Vancouver, lighting up the AHL, not getting a ton of looks in the NHL, showing well at training camp every time they've done it. And he's at what, three Canucks training camps and five Canucks games or something, right? Like brutal, just a brutal, brutal break for for Bailey. Um, Hopefully he gets back and, and gets another shot because clearly he's done the work to earn it. Travis Boyd in town is expected to practice on Tuesday and could very well debut for the Canucks on Wednesday. So we'll certainly watch that storyline as it moves along. Uh, I thought it was interesting over the weekend, uh, Antoine Roussel was one of the guys that was made available to the media. And among the things that he started on about, and we know when he gets wound up, sometimes uh, you just let him talk. And before you know it, uh, you've got your story. And Antoine Roussel, looking at the schedule... And griping about the fact that, you know, this is really the first true legitimate break that the Canucks have had, and it comes in the final week of March. And then he pointed at the Montreal Canadiens, and he said, they've had three breaks, and it's just not fair. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, the first two, sure. The third one was COVID-related. Like, I don't think you can point at that and have a legitimate gripe that the Montreal Canadiens are getting a week off, can you? No. No, you can't. And, you know, I'm sure they'd prefer to have kept playing, right? Like, they... Yeah, you know, they've gone through a coaching change. It's not like they've been practicing a ton, right? Like, they even had a practice delay. Um, no, I don't think you look at the Canadians and envy that situation at all. Um, not not in the slightest. And so, you know, plus we now know that the infection, the pos- the confirmed positive that they have in their team is uh, variant-related, right? So there's been extra trepidation and caution surrounding that situation, as it should, as there should be. And no, I don't think that's... Look, the Canucks have a gripe about their their early season schedule, I think. Like, I think it was a little ridiculous. I think they were absolutely put behind the eight ball by how many more games they've played. And and that's been the case all year. Like, there have been, there've been moments where the Canucks were like 10 games up. I mean, they're still 10 games up on like most teams in the Central, aren't they? Um, they're certainly 10 games up on the Stars. The Stars have played, what, 31 I guess teams are slowly catching up here, but the density of the Canucks' first six weeks relative to the rest of the league was, you know, way out of whack. I I think that's a legitimate gripe for sure. Uh, But, you know, what's happened since and what's going to happen the rest of the way, uh, things will even out a little bit, right? Like the Canadians are now going to be put through a ringer here. And and I do think they're going to have Calgary chasing them. Like I do still expect, because I'm stubborn like that, J-Pat, the Flames to (laughs) grind into gear at some point. (laughs) Yeah, I expect the Flames to grind into gear at some point. Like, I do expect things to get a little hot on Montreal's collar. And if there's injuries and if there's 
fatigue that sets in as their schedule gets insanely dense. Like they might be pretty reliant on Allen and Price here for for in some games anyway. Uh, unfortunately, the Canucks are now done with them, so they're not going to get to uh, capitalize off the factors that I'm discussing. But yeah, I mean, look, half half points awarded for Antoine Roussel's complaint. I think I agree with some of it. I disagree with some of it, but I I think there should be no question that the Canucks' schedule in the first six seven weeks of the season did them absolutely no favors here. Montreal and Calgary still play each other five times. Five times head-to-head. Like, that's pretty much going to be it. Like, you saw what Montreal did to Vancouver in the regular Mm -hmm. season series. If the Habs could do that to Calgary, or if Calgary could do that to Montreal, uh, that's probably going to swing it. So just keep that in mind that, yeah, they've got other games, and they've got makeup games, and all that kind of thing. But they go head-to-head five times here. Uh, over the final six weeks of the season. So uh, high stakes, certainly, for the Flames and the Habs. Uh, this was a big weekend for you. I thought of you a couple of times. Uh, you're on my, you're just top of mind, Tom. Thank uh, you, sir. There were trades. There were two trades over the weekend, three, because we referenced the Tampa-Anaheim trade on the last pod, but there were two legitimate trades, like bodies actually traded NHL homes. Eric Stahl obviously gets out of Buffalo uh, to Montreal for a couple of picks. And Brandon Lemieux. (laughs) Brandon Lemieux goes from the Rangers to the LA Kings for a fourth round pick. So uh, I know you chart this closer than anybody. Bring us up to speed. What is the total now since games? It's at eight. Okay. Eight. But three in the last four days. So that's interesting. Bumping up against double digits. Yeah. Well, and let's unpack this a little bit. Eric Stahl for a third and a fifth. Uh, you know, Eric Stahl's played, an, uh, Eric Stahl's a good player, right? Like Eric Stahl's a clear top six player still. Uh, his his comments, like that sullen, ashen, like uh, my time in Buffalo's behind me now. <laughs> was That's the quote of the NHL season for me. Like I was just, I was stunned to see that video. That blew my mind. Uh, just that, you know, it, he, he discussed it like, like a traumatic situation. And it probably was uh, in the context of professional hockey. So, yeah, I love that. But the third and the fifth, I think there's some takeaways there for Tanner Pearson, right? Uh, top six forward market kind of set it a little bit. Eric Stahl's got, you know, a, a relatively sizable cap hit. I think Minnesota retained a bit, but nonetheless, like we're talking about a player who, you know, wasn't easy necessarily for a team to fit in. There was some dynamics there, uh, but the Sabres were able to move him without uh, retaining additional space or, um, you know, having sort of. Uh, having to um, uh, take money back. So I think there's some there's some stuff to unpack there in terms of stall overall. Uh, you know, we're looking at a guy who had, sorry, he's on, he's got to be in a COVID protocol list, right? I'm trying Eric, to find out. Eric Stahl, what his yeah. Cap hit. Yeah, his cap hit is, excuse me, one sec. His cap hit's 325. So 325, 375 for, you know, the... Um, for Tanner Pearson, right? So that's instructive. Third and a fifth, right? That's sort of a baseline now. Uh, maybe Eric Stahl's valued a little bit more highly because of the Stanley Cup pedigree. Not that not that Pearson doesn't have it, but Stahl was a first liner on that team. Uh, multiple Olympic gold medals uh, center, right? Like there, there's, that's probably a slight premium on what we'd expect for Tanner Pearson. So I think there's some relevant takeaways from a Canucks perspective there. And then Lemieux for a fourth, uh, Lemieux was definitely not going to be protected by the Rangers in the expansion process, right? Like their, their sort of seventh forward protected slot 
when I sized it up, when Harmon and I sized it up last week, sort of fell down to one of Lemieux, uh, Gauthier, or Brett Howden. And Lemieux was clearly the oldest of that group, highest penalty differential. Uh, you know, that makes sense to me. Like, that makes sense that he would move on uh, of that group. There still might be a crunch there. Plus, we like Colin Blackwell. Harmon and I are big Colin Blackwell fans. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's still going to be something there. But more than anything, I wonder if this is the, uh, an example of what we might see more of, uh, not just before the deadline, but before July 17th, as teams look to reshape their, you know, assets or or asset position ahead of the expansion draft, because when I look at that Kings-Rangers trade, I look at a Rangers team that was being proactive and getting a pick off of a guy they weren't going to be able to protect anyway in the Lemieux deal. So I actually think there's some pretty interesting ramifications for the Canucks from the series of deals we saw. Three in the three deals in the last five days after there were only five in the first 70 days from the opening of the season or actually from the opening of training camp. So really we're looking at about 81 days. There were five trades. Now there's been three in the last five. Maybe the market is thawing a bit, although for what it's worth, the sense I get having asked around on Sunday evening is that while the Canucks are working hard, uh, taking calls, uh, nothing quite imminent yet on the, on the Canucks front in terms of, trade deadline machinations trade deadline is two mondays from now as we record this on monday morning uh we are two weeks away from the nhl trade deadline so the clock is ticking and i don't know if you saw this but to me this might have been the biggest development over the weekend oilers at leafs on saturday night edmonton grabs a 3-1 lead to the third period looking like they're in full control, national television, these heavyweights of the North Division, and the Oilers shit it away. Leafs come back. There's one heavyweight. One heavyweight? Yeah, the the Leafs are the only heavyweight in the North Division. All right, but based on the stand, I'm trying to build this up. Let me have my moment here. Let me have my moment. Two heavyweights! Yes, thank you. David, Oilers! Yeah! Mike Smith! Well, okay. So, so the Oilers, t- Oilers take a 3-1 lead to the third period, and the Leafs come back and win it in overtime. Win it in overtime. Amazing. You know who awesome Matthews. Clutch. You know who could have helped Edmonton lock down that lead, Tom? Brandon Sutter? Brandon Sutter. <laughs> yes, for sure Brandon he could Brandon Sutter. Yeah. And J.B. Br- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. I mean, yes. Brandon Sutter could have helped. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I, the (laughs) Brandon Sutter to the Oilers. I mean, look, that would be delicious, right? Brandon Sutter to the Oilers of the flames would be delicious. Um, sign me up for that storyline. I'm here for it. Uh, I think, I don't think he makes any sense for the flames. Like he's not an upgrade on Derek Ryan. Derek Ryan's been to and from their taxi squad. For the Oilers, I could see it. Like, the Oilers, I could see Brandon Sutter having some value. But, man, the Canucks would have to go through what I'm calling Stevie's laundromat, right? Uh, do you realize that the Edmund, the, the Detroit Red Wings are going to have almost $40 million in deadline day cap space? $40 million, J-Pat. <laughs> How nuts is that? Like, that's virtually unlimited. So, I, I want to see what Stevie does with the laundromat. Like, I'm calling it Stevie's laundromat, and I'm really curious to see what he can accumulate as like the problem solving third team for everybody. Like I, I almost, I almost think that the Detroit Red Wings are going to function 
as like a salary cap clearinghouse. You know, like, oh yeah, everyone, everyone will we'll take 10 cents on the dollar, fifth round pick from you, fourth round pick from you. Yeah, no problem. You can, we'll, we'll retain a little bit um, because you're talking about, you know, a, a guy with no interest in really competing uh, this season, no incentive to really compete and virtually unlimited cap space plus the Illich family's deep pockets, right? Like this is going to be fantastic. Uh, Detroit's like the team to watch because I think they, I think they could be involved in the most trades and add zero players. <laughs> over the next two weeks i'm i'm like really excited to see it i'm calling it stevie's laundromat i want to brand it now stevie's laundromat that's going to be the story of the next two weeks in the nhl um at least in terms of meaningful trade deadline acquisitions like if you're really acquiring someone with big money maybe it goes through stevie's laundromat brandon sutter brandon sutter is a perfect example will a team pay a premium to have stevie's laundromat take half of that cap hit so then the canucks can keep half Stevie keeps half, you get Brandon Sutter for a million. That's a prospect I could see teams being interested in. I think Sutter, even at 2.15 or whatever, like I still think that's a tough one to move um, overall. Like Brandon Sutter is not the guy that I have expectations on the Canucks netting assets for at the deadline. All right. Help the VIPs out here because you got into this with Halford and Bruff as you made an appearance. Uh, You're the first guest on their new home. Yeah. Uh, so, and their last. <laughs> this time I wasn't their last, though. I'm glad. Like, they at least got to be excess, so. <laughs> that's true. That is that's true. That's an upgrade so over my last that's, appearance. That's progress. Absolutely. But you laid this out, and I think this is an important point to make now as we close in on the trade deadline, that changes to the quarantine rule for players, and we talked about Eric Stahl getting traded from Buffalo, crossing the border to Montreal, the fact that the quarantine rules have been reduced and loosened mm-hmm. isn't necessarily good news for a team like the Vancouver Canucks. No, it's not. And, you know, we're already past the point of no return, JPAT, around the league, even with this reduction in rules. Like, the Habs buy Eric Stahl, right? And they're they're going to get, by the time he's through quarantine, and, and granted, they're a little bit of an exceptional case because of what they've gone through. So maybe not the Habs, but most other teams in Canada are already past the point of no return, whereby if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you're bringing in Brandon Sutter, and then he has to quarantine for seven days, right? By the time you get him, you have what? 16 days left in your season, 16 games, maybe, maybe less, right? Probably somewhere between 12 and 16. You're already getting the guy for less time than you would in a normal season, bringing a guy in, right? Like you're already past the point of no return where you won't have the player for as long as you would acquiring him on deadline day in a normal NHL season where you'd have 25, 26 games left the way the Canucks did with the Foley. Right. Uh, so, you know, there that's already, like there's already discussions in NHL circles, like should that impact market value, right? And obviously sellers are going to say, no, the market is the market, And buyers are going to, traditionalists anyway, are going to be saying, well, it doesn't make sense that market price would indicate that I get this player for fewer games. Like, that doesn't make sense. That's already intention, and you're going to see that. But for the Canucks, and this is one of the things, JPAT, why I've been banging the drum about being proactive. Like, the rules change, and now all of a sudden, if you're a Canadian buyer, there's no sort of reason to materially prefer Vancouver's assets. Like, the quarantine rule, to some extent, functioned almost like a tariff 
to incentivize Canadian teams to buy from the Canucks because that player had half a quarantine length or duration relative to a team acquired from an American club. Um, you know, the logic, for example, of the Travis Boyd pickup, right, is, well, we get him in in seven days. He'll be on our team by April 2nd when we leave for that monster trip. That's super helpful. But they actually, you know, had they understood that those rules were going to change and no one did, they actually could have, you know, potentially picked up a guy from an American team. Like their consideration set would have been larger than just Maple Leafs waivers, guys. So, you know, it, it is a fascinating dynamic and we're already seeing it. Like we're already seeing how unpredictable the season is in that uh, a change in the federal accommodations of NHL teams and the NHL protocol does in a subtle way sort of fundamentally alter Vancouver's, you know, selling position on this marketplace. Uh, it's a fascinating season and, and a fascinating thought exercise for NHL management teams, you know, and a real stress test in terms of how this is navigated, because this is about to be the most complicated NHL trade deadline of our lifetime. Friedman reported on Saturday night that Carolina had kicked tires on Travis Hamanick, which is interesting when you think of the Carolina Hurricanes and just how stacked they are already on defense and sort of their hopes and visions. I, I think, you know, they're a legit threat. I mean, they're going to have to go through Tampa, but... Um, <laughs> they're really you know, good. The, yeah, I mean, but I, I thought that was sort of multi-layered to me. A, I was, and th that team had interest in that particular player, but also I, I think that's probably a good thing that you know, teams are showing interest in Canuck players ahead of the trade deadline and perhaps forcing this management group to approach these players and ask them about waiving trade protection and just to start to get in, you know, that habit and that routine. Yeah. Okay. So lots to unpack here. I actually did some work on this last night too, sort of ran it down a bit. Sense I get is that it was extremely nascent. Like, these were not advanced talks uh, between the Hurricanes and the Canucks, as I understand it. And, you know, the um, the the Hamannick thing is no surprise, right? Like, this is a guy, the logic of his deal, $1.25 in a in a hockey economy where Sammy Vatanen signed for two, right? Like, Hamannick probably had market value at double at least the cap hit that he ultimately signed in Vancouver for. But part of the trade-off there is that he didn't want to be flipped, right? Like, this is a guy with family concerns in Western Canada. He's always wanted to play in Western Canada. Western Canada's only been the ever, only ever been his option, right? right? Like, ever since he demanded a trade or asked for a trade out of New York, he wanted to come to Western Canada. He views Vancouver quite clearly. He's made it clear. He's been explicit about this in, in the press. Uh, but, you know, this is a long-term fit for him. What he wants to be a long-term fit for him is, like, I can play with Hughes. I can earn another contract with you. I want to be here. I want to be in Western Canada. That's how he views this. He doesn't want to be flipped. Fair enough. Like, that's the price of doing business there. And I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about the no-trade clauses, no-move clauses. Some of it fair, right? Like, this team does have a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, they have 11 deals with some form of trade protection. That is too much. It's especially too much considering the value that most of their players have on those contracts. But, you know, and, well, and, and also not to mention the sort of cynical way that the Gillis-Gilman era no-trade clauses were made into a boogeyman in the early days of this regime, right? Like, that's the real reason that it's become a story. It's like people were dunking on 
the Canucks golden era for having too many no move clauses. And now they have more than they did at the height of that team. Right. And it's just like, come on, it's ridiculous. But nonetheless, this is not an opportunity to dunk. Like the Canucks got good value for a player who had a unique sort of set of circumstances. Didn't want to be flipped at the deadline. His camp anticipated that beforehand. They got their no move clause. If they don't want to waive it, they don't want to waive it. I I don't know though, that this is like, I don't know that if, you know, an Edmonton or a Calgary or a Winnipeg came calling that that would be an absolute no. Like I, I, my, my sense of it anyway, is that that's not necessarily the case. Like this isn't an ironclad no from Hamannick, but it's definitely a no for Carolina. Um, that's the sense I got. And I don't, I don't know that like things got very far down the road and like Hamannick nixed a trade that was done. Like, I don't think that's where we're at at all. Or, or where the talks were. That's that's the sense I got over the weekend, uh, making some calls and talking to some folks. So um, be interesting to see, you know, all the guys with limited no trades, they had to give the Canucks their lists before the season, right? So that's all baked in. If you have a modified or a limited no trade, if you're Nate Schmidt, Jordy Ben, uh, Braden Holpe, like the Canucks have your teams. You know, they know who they can trade you to or not. Uh, obviously the Adler story is the one that's going to be of, the, of most interest, but look, we, I think we all expect that Edler wants to retire in Vancouver, wants to go out on his terms with this team. I don't think there's a huge expectation, uh, that he would be willing to wave, but we'll see. That's going to be a, a fascinating storyline to see. And, and, and all, all told, I think what this does shine a light on is which pieces are going to be most tradable from a Vancouver perspective. Hamannick's going to be complicated. Edler's going to be complicated. Pearson is not. Pearson has no no uh, trade protection whatsoever. Ben is, uh, you know, limited no trade protection, but it's not super robust. And, you know, so Pearson, Ben, and maybe Sutter, but Sutter has some limited no trade protection too. Uh, you know, <laughs> again, uh, again, this just goes back to what I was saying five weeks ago, Jay Pat, and what we've been crying from the rooftops on this podcast, which is just like, get out ahead of the market because you now have two weeks, you know, four of your best trade assets have some form of no trade protection. It's going to be three dimensional deals to get these done. That's not easy. And, you know, in a world where 18 of 31 teams are within a million of the cap, 16 to 31 are in LTI, like, man, I, I do not envy Canucks management trying to navigate this and trying to pull a couple of, you know, worthwhile futures from one of the most complicated markets I've ever seen. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You mentioned Alex Adler, and I am this is to me is gonna be fascinating. First of all, we'll see. I mean, I I expect that he will be here for the long haul, these final 19 games. I don't see him waving. Uh, and if he's here, and I know in the last pod you talked about, look, they're up against it. We know that, but it, it, it's salary cap implications right now that are preventing Ole Levy from being activated to the to the active roster. They've got two more back-to-backs, including the start of this upcoming road trip, where they're in Edmonton and Winnipeg. We talked about that in the last pod as well. Uh, there's another back-to-back later. Like, this notion of load management, like, 
Alexander doesn't have to play every game down the stretch, especially once the club comes to the realization that we've all already arrived at. Like, do you see a point in time where they would say, Alex, you've been an incredible loyal soldier to this group. Have a seat for a night. And, like, they do have to find a way to get a guy like Yulevi some playing time. Well, they do. And first off, they need someone to get back in the lineup, right? Like, first off, first off, they need Boyd and Boyd to get off the non-roster, which will happen tomorrow, right? But that helps yeah. because then you can, you know, reassign, I guess, Michaelis. And then if Pearson comes off IR, you can reassign someone else. But boy, like, I don't even know who you reassign. I don't honestly think you you probably got to try and make a trade. You probably got to try and make a trade, to be totally honest with you, to get Yolevi back in the lineup, right? Like, in, or you're waving Antoine Roussel or, you know, like you're you're into pretty difficult territory just to get Yolevi on the roster. Um so I think we should point out, I don't think Pearson's close. He's supposed to start skating right. this week. That was the report. But I, I think he's still a ways away from being a consideration to play and to be activated. For so sure. they have a little bit of time on the Pearson but, front. But you need to get Yolevi in. Like, I, for sure, you need to get Yolevi in. And I don't know, barring barring a deal, uh, like, I, it's really hard for me to figure out how to do it. I don't think you want to put Howerluck or McEwen on waivers. Like, I don't think you want to put Godet Mott on waivers so you know your options are pretty limited i don't think they want to put chatfield on waivers so you know anyway my point being they do need to get Yolevi in they do need to manage edler's minutes like I, I think edler's last two and a half weeks have been his slowest of the year by far like i i just think his effectiveness falls off pretty hard i, I think people are underrating how much he relies on his defensive partners to do a lot of the neutral zone work for for him when he's on the ice at this stage of his career. I, I think, you know, whether it was Stetcher before him or or Schmidt now, uh, you know, I, I think that's been tough. Like, I think that's a tough assignment for, you know, his partner at this point. And so, you know, you've, you've got some difficult decisions. Like, you're facing some tr- tricky, tricky math in terms of what you should do there over the long haul, especially because... You know, you've got Hughes and Schmidt long term, presumably, once you get Hughes done. And then you've got Rathbone and Yolevi coming, like all your depth in terms of a, a potential next wave. And I mean, I say that sort of like Rathbone's not a top, top prospect. He's a really good player, but, you know, he's he's a good prospect. He's he's not an A can't miss guy. Uh, Yolevi's looks to me like depth. I don't think listeners of our podcast will be surprised to hear me frame it in that context but nonetheless like that's where you can kind of hope to have you know some some sort of cheap fill-ins over the long haul you have nothing on the right side uh so are you going to re-sign edler next season beyond this season when you know you your help is like the help you need is right-handed right like it's just it's a tough fit a tough situation for them to navigate and i don't think there's an easy answer here like i really don't think there's an easy answer here on what's What's the right course of action uh, for Alex Edler? I think they're I think they're going to have to think long and hard about whether or not you know he, he's a long term fit beyond this season, and and that's almost regardless of what cap number he comes in at. Like I'm sure there's a number at which Edler makes sense, but I think it's a lot lower than you know what anyone would have thought uh, Edler would represent good value at. You know, even even five months ago. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Drew Doughty's not an option for the Canucks, but he is an option for your listening pleasure. Uh, the Kings veteran is the guest of Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on Wednesday on the Athletic Hockey Show, the two-man advantage edition, so you may want to check that out. Uh, you know, I always say, too, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app, and looking at the comments section from our, our last pod, and we recorded uh, last Thursday right after the Canucks lost to the Winnipeg Jets, and... Look, we've been pretty consistent, and I think we've been out there for a while. And you maybe even more than I, because I was starting to buy in a little bit as they were stringing the wins together. But I think we both knew from that 2-9 and 2 February that the playoffs weren't going to happen. So one of the commenters, a guy by the name of Cam, said, Love the pod. Grants, I think at this point, you can stop feeling the need to justify your attitude on the direction of the team. It seems you dedicate a decent amount of time and energy on the regular, explaining why you don't think it's fair to simply be thought of as negative. I'm sure at the very least the VIPs here can accept you confidently moving on with your take, which I pretty comprehensively agree with for what it's worth. Keep them coming, gents. So there you I, go. I needed that. I needed that. You know, <laughs> I, honestly, it's like once the house of negativity folded, I feel like everyone needed the, the a negative voice to point to, and 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 it became me. But like, boy, I I you know the Canucks even put together the crazy type of stretch I thought they needed. They just did it a week too late, and like they never got above one in five odds of making the playoffs. They're down to seven percent again. You know, like. That's the reality of the situation. And and I just, everything is unfolded in a way that sort of matches my fears. Like even the quarantine sort of thing being relaxed or, you know, the fact that there's only going to be like, there's only going to be five or six buyers at the deadline, I think, because what's the incentive for the Chicago Blackhawks to buy? Like, what do you care about making the playoffs in a world with no gate revenue? Like, what, what does your owner care? What does your organization care? Really? Does it care enough for you? I mean, obviously, you'd love the experience, but, like, do you care enough to spend money? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And that's sort of the sneaky secret of this NHL season, too, right? Like, 
There are a few teams trying to win the Stanley Cup, and there is a great mass of teams just trying to keep the lights on, you know? Uh, that's sort of the dynamic under which this season is being played, and that's not what we're used to. It's not what we're used to. It's changed a lot about how teams are functioning, about how they're behaving, about the types of moves we're seeing. Um, you know, it's clearly, clearly, fundamentally altered the Canucks' approach to this season. And, you know, uh, like I saw Patrick Johnson did some good work and found out the Canucks had spent 21st. They were 21st in actual spend this season. Um, teamed up with Cap Friendly to uncover that nugget. I, I bet you they're going to end up roughly in that spot in terms of point percentage. And, and you know, like you get what you pay for in this league. Um, the Canucks didn't spend to win the cup this year. Like they didn't, uh, they didn't spend to make the playoffs and they're probably not going to. So, you know, the dynamic remains now at this point, like at least there's an opportunity here to set yourself up to be better positioned on the other side of this garbage than, than where they are right now. Right? Like they didn't take advantage of this last season of Hughes and Pedersen's ELCs. They've got three core players in those two in Demko up after this season. They've still got significant cap issues, right? Like they've still got Erickson, Holtby, Roussel, Beagle all signed, right? That's a combined 16.2 or $3 million cap hit. Uh, like that's, yeah. that's a ton of money. That's like 20% of your cap space for next season, JPAT. So, you know, like they've still got issues and and this is this is the other thing right the the what what was already true becomes more true because of the stresses introduced by the pandemic and the year we've lived through um you know like a good draft pick a guy like Niels Hoaglander a nice find in the second round in 2019 becomes that much more valuable because he's going to play and contribute on an ELC for two more years beyond this in the flat cap era right like now What's a nice draft pick is a home run asset for your club to help you stay competitive and navigate this stress, this stressful situation, right? This, this cap crunch moment for the entire league. Uh, on the flip side, though, your bad contracts, right, become that much more harmful, right? Like Erickson at six, you know, I was talking to, I was talking to Mark Lazarus at The Athletic. He has, he's running one of those um, who says no pieces, uh, over in, and and someone one of the readers suggested that the Canucks should trade Louis Erickson and their 2021 first round pick to the Chicago Blackhawks for a 2021 second round pick. So the Canucks move down 30 uh, 30 spaces in the order and they get off Erickson's money. And like for me, that's a no brainer. You say yes to that every time. Top five protected, right? Like I I'm, I, I'm going top five protected, but I'm doing that deal tomorrow if I can. Uh, the reason for it is like the Marlowe comp is the one that stands out in everyone's mind. That's a $6.25 million cap hit, but it's only 800 K in total cash. Like because the ha the Canadian, the Canes bought out that deal, they only spent $825,000 on it. Um, Erickson's got 4 million in salary left. Like even if you buy him out, it's 3 million. Um, you know, like that, honestly, it's probably a first plus to get off of Erickson either through Seattle or whomever. Um, it's just going to be so, so hard to carve out additional flexibility. I actually think their best course of action is probably going to be buyouts or just taking it on the chin next season. Uh, and, you know, that's depressing, right? Like, because then then we're talking about a world where when the Canucks can reasonably construct a team good enough to 
you know, even just be like a no doubter playoff team, like Hughes and Pedersen are going to be 24 and 23 and Besser's going to be expiring or actually Besser's going to have already expired. Besser's going to be on his third contract and Horvat and Miller are going to like, it's just brutal, man. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to stomach. And you know, it's, it's the reason for my tone. Like I'm not, uh, anyway, I'm not going to justify it because I've, I've laid it all out. Like this is why for me, this has been clear to see for a while. Um, and I, I actually just think everything that's unfolded over the past few weeks is sort of, you know, made me feel that way a little bit more strongly. Monday, an off day for the Canucks. Tuesday, back to practice. Wednesday, Calgary is here for the final game of this month of March. And then it's out on the road for seven in a row to start April 11 of 15. And again, home road, not as big a deal because there's nobody in these buildings. But still, uh, we talked on one of the recent pods about the challenges of being away from home for that long. And of course, that road trip to start the month of April will encompass the trade deadline as well. So two weeks to go before the NHL trade deadline, we will see if the Vancouver Canucks are active between now and then. Uh, again, check out our comment section for every podcast episode of the Athletic app. Write and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber and you're listening in the United States, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. If you're listening to us in Canada, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast Canada and receive a subscription for just $1 a month. If the Flames come to town, Tom, and they can't score and they can't beat the Canucks, is that going to change your opinion? On the Calgary Flames? Well, no, because, I mean, not scoring on Thatcher Demko, like, there's no shame in that. That's <laughs> that's kind of what Thatcher Demko does, right? Like, but, but, the Canucks, you know, there is still, as, there is still things for Canucks fans to root for and enjoy this season. And I think one of them is going to be, like, the Flames are going to push here. They're, they're going to figure out a way to at least make this more interesting than it looks right now. I do believe that still. I, I think their hill's probably too steep. But the Canucks are going to have a huge say in what that looks like. Do they have four or five left? I think it's five. So there's a ton of games left between like Markstrom, Demko, Flames scraping for the playoffs. Like Canucks fans should enjoy the opportunity to play spoiler if they can for a, you know, Sutter coach team with Tanev and Markstrom, right? Like that's going to be fun. And I also think, I also think rooting against the Maple Leafs, <laughs> rooting against the Maple Leafs to win a playoff <laughs> round. Like that's still there. There's still some things in play for Canucks fans to root for. And then I do think it is time. Like the Canucks need to find a way to get you levy in the lineup. They need to keep Adam Goddard at center. I, I, you know, I, I still think it would be an error to move on from him at the deadline. Although I do think that's a serious consideration and possibility here for the next two weeks, but they need to play Goddard at, at, at center. Like, I think they need to get as many guys, like, if you can get Cole Lind, who, who, as we know, is in Vancouver, into the lineup, like, see what he can do. If you can blood some guys uh, in lower stakes games before, you know, hoping they play prominent roles next season, you gotta do it. And so that's sort of where the season goes now, is how does, how does this team balance it? And can they align the incentives of you know, the coaching staff management with the long-term health of the organization. Because right now, anyway, um, you know, those incentives aren't aligned. It's a big problem. And it's one that's going to be magnified here going forward, especially if the Canucks move an asset or two prior to April 12th. Four left with the Flames, five left against McDavid, Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, all right. Again, the Canucks don't play till Wednesday night. 
I uh, want to thank Steamworks. Welcome to the VanCast family. Uh, we'll hoist one uh, for them, and uh, hopefully at some point we can host hoist one and host uh, all the VIPs, uh, maybe at a Steamworks uh, event somewhere down the line. So uh, those are the types of Name things that, that we're looking live, forward baby. to. Name that Canuck Live, baby. Let's go. There you go. <laughs> yes, I like the sounds of that. Uh, for Drancer, it's J-Pat, as always. Hope you have a great week. Uh, hope uh, you enjoyed this first of three VanCasts uh, here at The Athletic at theathletic.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.